Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I thought that I would entitle this episode, Two Statements of Jesus. The Gospels are quite literally filled with wonderful and powerful statements that Jesus made during his time on earth. Just think of the several different I am statements that Jesus made in the gospel according to John, such as, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, and even the incredible statement, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. There are many, many others as well, each of them telling us something about the nature of the Lord and the work that he came to do. Yet it occurred to me that the statements that perhaps best describe the Lord's purpose on this earth and his unfaltering faith and love toward the Father are found in the very first recorded words of the Lord at the age of 12 and his very last words as he hung on the cross. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, and we'll be reading verses 41 through 50. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 50. The passage says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Or as the King James put it, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? but they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Let's move on now in the Gospel according to Luke, 21 chapters and approximately 21 years, to Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. It is interesting that Jesus is probably not much more than a mile, if that, from where he had spoken those words in the temple so many years before, and now he's hanging on a cross. 
It could be that some of the very ones who were standing around witnessing his crucifixion and mocking him were some of the same ones who had been so surprised and astonished at the understanding and the questions that the boy Jesus had demonstrated and asked a few decades before. Just as Jesus had spoken of being about his father's business all those years ago, they now hear him speak of the father once more in his dying breath. Luke 23 verse 46 tells us, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now think about everything that had happened between Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Yet when we really think about it, it was because of those first words and what they meant that he could say those last words. As a matter of fact, it is because of those first words that any Christian will be able to say those last words. Let's notice how those first recorded words of Jesus served to define his life. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, again, if you're using your Bibles. Beginning with verse 13 of this chapter, we find Jesus in discussion with some Pharisees. They began their attack by saying that Jesus bore witness of himself that his witness was therefore necessarily false, necessarily untrue. In his response, Jesus showed that he was not alone in bearing witness of himself, for the Father also bore witness. There are many other things that Jesus said in this discussion, but I want us to pay particularly close attention to verses 28 and 29, because there we find, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, Then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Another incredible statement, and note his reasoning. The word for always meant then what it does now. Have you ever considered how often we misuse the word always? How many times have we said to someone in frustration, you always lie to me, or you always want to bring up the past, or you always say the meanest things? Then there's the positive side of the idea when we say, she always has a nice smile on her face, or he always is so nice, or he always dresses so well. The truth is that no matter how frustrated we are with the person, they do not, in fact, always lie or always say mean things. And no matter how impressed we are with someone, they do not always wear a smile and they do not always dress so well. The word always literally means at all times. There is not a person we know who does those things that we might say they always do all of the time without fail. Yet Jesus did, at all times, without fail, do those things that were pleasing to the Father. This is our goal. Remember what Peter said of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. 
He said, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Christ is our example in pleasing God in everything. Yet I believe that we would all have to admit that there have been times when we conducted ourselves as though the last part of our Lord's words in John 8:29, for I always, whenever it is convenient or easy to do those things that please him, is the way that we actually seem to live. But is that how Jesus lived? Did he only seek to please the Father, to be obedient to him and faithful to his will when it was easy, convenient, or pleasant? We all know the answer to those questions is no. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's go to Matthew 26 and read verses 36 through 44. Matthew wrote, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his apostles, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for an hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. I think of Paul's words concerning Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. He said, Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. Every now and again, trying to live our lives in a manner that is always pleasing to God in the midst of an ungodly world gets very hard. Doesn't it seem like so much of a Christian's life is lived in an effort to avoid certain things? We have to avoid the filth that dominates so much television and the internet. We need to steer clear of ungodliness that is broadcast into our cars as we drive down the road listening to the radio. We have to avoid the liberal and humanistic views that plague so much of American thinking. We have to avert our eyes from magazines in the checkout lines of the grocery stores that flaunt in modesty and unrighteousness without the slightest bit of shame. All the while doing our very best to be lights unto the world that is seeking to extinguish our flame by drowning us in a sea of ungodliness. But then, think about those last words of Jesus on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
What an incredibly wonderful thing to be able to say with our last dying breath. What tremendous peace a person must feel at that moment. We were in Philippians just a moment ago. Let's turn now to Philippians 4 and read a little bit about that peace in verses 6 and 7. Paul wrote, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you remember the Lord's words to his apostles in John chapter 14 and verse 27? He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. We are talking about a peace that comes when an individual has taken every care, every trial, every heartache, and laid them at the feet of the Lord. We are talking about a peace that comes about when one has taken every victory, every success, every reason to rejoice, and bowed to God in thanksgiving. This is a peace that finds God at its foundation and is sustained by unflinching and unfailing faithfulness and loyalty to him. A peace made possible because Jesus came here to be about his father's business. We'll turn now to John chapter 16 and read the beautiful and inspiring words of Jesus in verses 25 through 33. This is what Jesus said. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. But take courage. My friends, truly we must all face the fact that we are going to die. If the Lord does not return first, then there will come a time when we face that last second, a time when the final breath leaves our body. Each of us has heard the expression, the moment of truth, used in so many ways and in so many situations throughout our life. That final breath will be the ultimate moment of truth. In fact, everything we have done in our lives, every word we have spoken, Every action we have taken, everything we have become points to that one final breath. We are probably all familiar with the words of Hebrews 9:27, 27, 
And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. How do we want that final moment to go? I want with every ounce of my being to be able to close my eyes for the final time and use that last breath to say, with the peace that passes understanding infusing my soul, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then I want to look at the angels as they carry me to Abraham's bosom, all the while praising God. That is what I want to happen at my last breath. Every person needs to thank God from the very bottom of their hearts that Jesus has provided a way for this to happen. Every person needs to thank God from the bottom of their hearts that our Lord came to this earth to suffer and die to leave behind a perfect example of what it truly means to be about the Father's business, what it truly means to always do those things that are pleasing to God. So let's see to it that we live in such a way that when the world looks upon us and wonders why we will not engage in sinful activity with them, we can simply say, did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? And let's be about our Father's business. That way, when we come to the end of our lives, we can smile in full assurance with peace and confidence and use that last breath to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Thank you for listening.